0: Going to read our scripture passage today. It's found in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And um, some pretty important things here as James talks to us about our tongues. And you know, I think I can honestly say that we have, everyone in this room has had harm done to them by somebody else's words, whether intentional, oftentimes unintentional. And we ourselves have all done harm likewise, intentional or unintentional, with our words. And so James is going to give us some instructions today. Actually, Jared's going to give us some instructions based on James' words and his teaching. So listen to this. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, then he is a perfect man who is able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to take them. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a very small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's very image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we've just come to you this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. Father, we thank you how you have made us. We thank you that all the parts you've given us have a a specific purpose. And Lord, yet you've given us this one small part called the tongue that really in many ways can rule everything else if we're not careful and rule it in ways that can be blessing or ways that can be a curse. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts this morning on what each of us need to do to control our tongues, to use them to be instruments, parts of blessing and not curses. We also thank you that you have given us an abundance in our lives and that we can give a portion of that back to you. We pray that whatever that is this morning, that you take it And multiply it beyond anything we could imagine. We thank you that you are here with us this morning and that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Father, we thank you for this morning and all your many blessings to us, God, and Lord, we do ask that your word, you are God of words, you have given us words, you've given us your son who is, is the word, that you would speak into our lives about our words and how we speak, Father. So Lord, give us wisdom and insight by your spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us, and help us to be those that have words that do bless others as you have asked. And so we pray all these things in the name of Christ, Amen. Welcome to those of you that are here this morning and to those that are uh, online and we're continuing in our series in James, Faith That Works, as you guys know, and we're looking at our speech as Christians in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and how being a believer in Jesus should affect the way we speak is another aspect of our life where faith is being worked out, that as transformed believers in Christ our speech should be different than the world around us and the speech we might have grown up with and that this little part of our body this little guy here can bring us a lot of pain and agony or a lot of joy and blessing and so James wants to speak to us about that now every time i read this passage it makes me think of the rolling stones logo you know like the lips with a tongue sticking out and i was thinking of this the other day i was sitting in a coffee shop working on my sermon and here comes a girl that sits at the table next to me with, guess what, the Rolling Stones logo on her T-shirt. And I was like, oh, God, that's that's funny. Um, so anyway, I want I want to get that in your mind. So every time I say the word tongue, which is always kind of a weird word to say, uh, you think about that. And if you're a kid in here, you can count the times that I say the word tongue today. And it'll be fascinating to see how many times I'll do that. Now, James has already introduced this topic of speech to us before in James 1, nine, he said, don't be quick to anger, but be slow to speak, right? In James 1.26, he also says this, if anyone thinks he's religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he may be deceiving his heart that his religion may actually may be worthless. So what James is saying is as Christians, our speech matters. What we say matters. It reflects part of who we are. It's an important part of our life to be examined and to see where our heart really is at with Jesus. And so, as he takes a deeper dive here into this uh, topic of speech, he's going to talk particularly about how do we bridle our tongue, how do we get control of our tongue, and so that we would speak as we would. And I think this is what he wants us to know: is that as Christians, in the power of the Spirit, he wants us to learn to. Control our speech for God's glory as well as to advance his kingdom on the earth, that our speech should reflect and be a witness to who and what we are in Christ. In fact, Paul I think in ephesians 429 really gives us a, a summarizing statement as to what our speech should look like as a believer in Jesus. he says this: let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And so the goal of our speech as Christians should be holy speech that honors God, that builds others up, that is fits the occasion. You know, Proverbs talks a lot about speech and and having right speech is usually all about timing. It's saying the right thing in wisdom at the right time to the right person. So saying it in what fits the moment and then giving grace, letting it be in season with the gospel and what God is doing in us. You know, in Psalm 114, three, David prays this, and I think it's a good prayer for our speech as we think about our speech today. He says, "O oh Lord, set a guard over my mouth. And keep a watch over the doors of my lips. That we would watch our speech and control it and nothing would come out that is not honoring to God. So let's jump in here and see what James has to say about taking control of our tongue. Or as he says, the bridling of our tongue in verses 1 and 2. Now James begins this section by talking about teachers in the church. He says this, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now it's interesting here that James begins with this idea of teachers. You might go, well, this, this topic kind of came out of nowhere. But if you remember last week, Pastor Kevin was talking about uh, our faith being dead without works and without the... The fruits of work that come from faith, uh, it proves that we might have no faith at all. And so James is reminding us how much more so, as teachers, your life should demonstrate what you believe. There should be fruit coming from your life. You say you believe these things as a teacher? Show me in your life. This is how James is bringing this together. And he's furthermore, he says that we will be judged with more strictness. This is one of my least favorite verses in the Bible because this is what I do for a job. And God says, I've got my eye on you, right? I'm going to judge you with more strictness. And I believe this is true even in this life. We're going to talk about the future life in a second. But even in this life, the guy up front is always having his life examined, right? My life is more of an open book than maybe yours sitting out there in the pew? does Do I have a godly life? Is my life worth emulating? Does what I preach actually make it into how I act? And so James is reminding us that this is important for teachers. We see this even in the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3.17, that, that what is focused on there is the character of the man being put forward. In essence, Does the teacher's life or the elder's life reflect what they believe? And we can think of far too many Christian leaders and examples in recent years in which their lives have betrayed what they believe. But I also think James is saying to teachers, one day you will face a judgment before God for what you have taught and how you have lived your life. God has entrusted leaders in his church with people to shepherd And you mainly shepherd people through your words. And God is saying, you need to watch your words because I'm going to hold you accountable. And a good rule of thumb, I think, for all of us, you know, all of you are here this morning at Risen Life, but I don't doubt that God is going to move you around the country and even around the world for his purposes. And as you evaluate churches that you want to be a part of and ministries, I think this is a good rule of thumb for us to look at the teachers and leaders in your life and say, does their life reflect what they believe and say? Has their faith made a difference in their life? Now, this week I was talking to some people about this passage, and uh, they said, this passage always scares me. Like, I don't want to lead in the church. I don't even want to lead a small group because of this passage, because God will judge me for for my life, and maybe my life is not in the right place this time. But let me remind you that God already said he's going to judge all of our lives, right? He's already called all of us to sanctification. And so let's not let this be an excuse to cover up for not wanting to be a part of what God is doing. Part of what we're going to see this morning is God wants us to grow, and part of that is through his grace. And so he says, "Step out in faith and let's begin to walk in new ways in life. Let your life be sanctified even as you begin to lead. And in fact, we need some more leaders in this church. In fact, we're going to be calling this fall, we're going to be doing some things to raise up and begin to train some guys and ladies to be leaders in this church. And I don't want you to be scared of doing that. We want to walk with you and help your life grow in godliness so that you will be fit to lead. Now, James is going to go on and temper this whole discussion in our speech in verse 2 with a really important statement. He says this, look, we all stumble in many ways, and if you don't stumble in what you say, you're a perfect man. So this is really important. James is telling us here that the the greatest Christian teachers, the workers in the church, they're all going to stumble in sin. (laughs) And I like that James includes himself in this. He says, look at." We all, this is the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, we all stumble in many ways, and especially in our speech. And if we didn't, we'd be perfect. And James is including himself as well as us, and we ought to include ourselves in that verse. You know, this is really the message of the gospel. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the rub of our human. Condition. We're born with a sin nature. As soon as we can, we'll act on it. We'll turn away from God and do our own thing, contrary to what he has asked, and sin over and over and over again, and do even what we know we don't want to do. This is Paul's sentiment in Romans seven, fifteen, twenty two through twenty four. He says, Look, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I delight in God's law in my soul, and yet there is a war in my mind and my body to do the right thing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says in the very next verse, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? And how many times have we stumbled in our speech? How many times, just like Paul, you say to yourself, why did I just say that? How did that just escape my mouth? That's that's not what I want to say to my family. It's not what I want to say to my kids, my friends. We know we we just want to like pull that sentence back in, and you know you can't. It's out there, right? And I could remind you, you know, we all, pastors, we all stumble in what we say, and I could remind you of many things I've said from the pulpit, stumbling in what I say. In fact, Sean's made a meme of some of them, if you'd like to uh, check that out. But not a week goes by that we don't say exactly what we want to say, right? I wish I could have said that better. I wish I could have got that into my counseling. I wish I could have been more sensitive to that person that I was dealing with or or cared more for that staff person, or the person in my family, or even in my sermon, right? Because we all stumble, and especially in what we say. This is an everybody play sin, right? We stumble daily in how we talk to people. And part of our culture at Risen Life we've tried to set as pastors is to let you see that we are human just like you. We sin in great ways. We all stumble. And to be as open and honest with about our sin in the way that we walk in the grace that Christ provides for us and as we lead people. And so James' words call us to have grace for those, I think, that are leading as well as ourselves as we think about our speech. And so we want to work to have speech that is holy, that builds others up, that fits the moment and gives grace to others. Now James continues, he's going to give us several Examples of why it's important that we control our speech because it's so powerful. And basically the the main point of this section is he's saying your speech can determine the course of your life. And we know this to be true, that that little muscle in your mouth has has control over where you can go. You can make good and bad decisions with the things that you say. In fact, Proverbs 18.21 says it this way, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. That means if you like to talk, then you're going to see some fruit from what you say, whether good or bad. And here's a couple of examples he gives us. Look at verse 3. He says, look, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And so the bit is a little piece that goes in the horse's mouth around his tongue and as it moves around his tongue, it's meant to control him and send him a certain direction. You can cause him to turn right and left, go straight, stop, all those things. If it's a good horse, if not, he doesn't care, and he runs off without you. But secondly, James is telling us that it actually it, it brings him under control. This whole big behemoth is, is controlled by this. And so we in like manner should bridle our tongues. We should bring it under control because it, changes our course of life. And in verse 4, he also says this, look at the ships also. They are so large, they're driven by strong winds, and we could say motors today. They are guided by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. And so here again is that image of control. This very little thing is controlling this huge ship, the smallest piece of the ship guiding the whole, just like our lives. And I'm sure you, like me, can think of all the ways your life has been directed by the very little things you have uttered from time to time. You know, if you're married, you might think back to your wedding, that 10 to 15 to 20-minute service with those small phrases of I do said to one another. Guess what that did? It determined the course of your life for the next many years, right? I can think to a time in 2009, laying in bed with Amy, we're discussing... Or we're doing in life, and I was laying out, I think I'm being called to ministry, and I think I want to stop my job and go to seminary and go full on with this and see where God takes me. And we said, okay, let's do it. And that began to guide our life over the next 20 years, those short phrases. Or recently, when we decided to sell our house and buy another, right, we said yes to this sale and yes to that one. Changed our life for the next couple of years. And so maybe you can think of all the ways your life has been determined by just moments of speech, right? short moments. And then in the middle of this, look at verse 5. He inserts this thing. Uh, He says this. So he's giving us these two examples. He says, then look at this little guy, the tongue. He can also, he can make big boasts. He can say a lot of big things from this little guy. It's kind of like that pre-boxing interview with boxers right before the match, and they're talking about how awesome they are and how they're going to beat up the other guy, and then guess what happens? Then you got to prove it, right? You got to step into the ring. I can remember back, I was climbing in City of Rocks, Idaho. I don't know if you've ever been there, but climbing in City of Rocks, Idaho, with a friend. We were there for about a week, and uh, it seemed that every place we went, we would hike to a certain place to go climbing and here's this guy. And all this guy would do was talk about how awesome he was. And we were getting nauseated by how awesome this guy was. His girlfriend wasn't. She was really into him. Um, But then we were like, man, we got to get away from that guy. Go to a new place. Who's there? This guy. Over and over again. In fact, we renamed this guy Spray Lord because he was just spewing about how awesome he was all the time. And Probably shows that we needed to bridle our tongue and our nicknames. But anyway, we were young and annoyed. So the tongue can boast of great things, right? And I like what Paul says in Galatians 6.14 about boasting. He says, But far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What Paul is telling us is everything about who you are, your talents, the things that you love, the good things that you can do, your salvation, it all comes from God. And if we have one thing to talk about, it's what God is doing in our life. You know, this whole topic of faith and works so that we've been talking about, faith that works, sometimes we can get off track by thinking we work our way to God, God is happy with the things we do and we begin to stand on those things that we do that we think are godly and God will accept us. And yet Paul has told us in Ephesians, that's not how it works. Your faith was a gift of God. It wasn't about anything that you did. And there's no room to boast in that other than what about what God has done in your heart and life. And so we are not made right by God through our works, yet Our works will show how God has worked in our life. That's what James is after, that our speech would even reflect how God is working in our life. And so James in this section is demonstrating how important and powerful our tongue can be in determining the direction of our lives. And then he's also going to tell us now in verse 5 through 8 that it can destroy your life and destroy others' lives around you. Look at what he says in verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature, they can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is telling us you ought to think about your tongue as a fire set in the midst of a very dry forest. And guess what? Smokey the bear at this point, he's pointing to extreme all the time with our tongue. We know this image well, that a very small fire can set the, all of these mountains on fire for thousands of acres. All we need is that little fire to catch a little wind, and we have a huge fire. And James says, that's your tongue. And your tongue can spew forth evil that he says that can be straight from hell. The vilest of things can come right out of our mouths. And these things we say can burn our lives down. It can burn the lives down of those around us. It can burn down our organizations that we are part of. And it can even set this world on fire, as we've seen. And James says, no one can tame this beast. <laughs> you think you're pretty awesome, you can tame all the animals, but you can't tame that little guy in your mouth. That's not the way a Christian should live. As one commentator was meditating on this verse, I read this this week. He said, if you think about it, there are few sins we commit in which the tongue is not involved. Think about that for a second. Whether things we say to people, right, to hurt them, things we say to entice them to sin with us, the things we agree to, the things we say in secret, all of them agreed to through our mouths. And we can all think of times when we've lit our lives on fire with our tongues. Maybe you destroyed a relationship you had with your words. Maybe you've wounded and crushed another person's heart with your words, maybe even unintentionally. And we know we can destroy reputations with the things that we say. We can spread lies and rumors about other people, we can spew hate, we can incite lust in people around us, we can agree to all kinds of sin, even wars are started with our words as leaders disagree with one another. And now we can take our words and we can spew them out as evil around the world in a click of a button as we use Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, our sins follow us there online. They're words recorded for time and eternity saying, you said this. And I say all these things, referring back to verse 2. We all stumble in this. I've done every one of these things that I just said. (laughs) Every one of them. Use my words in ungodly ways. I can think back to one time I set my sixth grade life on fire with my words. We had an art teacher that nobody liked, and so I was in class, and as he instructed us to do some things, I stood up and I said, shut up, baldy, which is kind of funny because now I'm balding as well, and well, needless to say, my world was set on fire. My friends looked at me with a mixture of admiration and surprise and fear in their eyes as what was going to come next. And I could see the fury in the eyes of my teacher, who did not like this nickname, as I was marched across the hall to the principal's office. Now, this was the grace of God to me because I was waiting there to be paddled because I used to paddle people then. And they were too busy with other greater matters and sins that had occurred in the school that only got detention. So I feel like God smiled on me. It's also a good thing it was not Elisha the prophet or he would have called bears out to kill me because I had called him baldy. Um, So there's that. But I set my world on fire and I've done that many times with the things I've said. But praise be to God who's able to take mouthy kids and teenagers and turn them into preachers of the gospel. Sometimes God can use your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. But our words are powerful, and they can be evil and lead us to all kinds of sin. Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus says this. Guess what? On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's sobering, because I've spoken a lot of careless words in my day. A lot of careless words. Think about it. All our careless words online just to make our opinion known, reviewed by Jesus. What did you say here? Why did you say that? I have a lot of careless words I've spoken, and Jesus is reminding us. We'll have to talk about them to what he said. You know, I like this. Uh, when you when you look at Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is in uh, rushered, ushered into the presence of God, and he sees the the throne of God, and he gets a glimpse of it in all his glory, what's the first thing he laments about his life? What he said. Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And do we ever live in a generation of unclean lips? And yet upon his confession of sin, look at this, he then uses his mouth to confess his sin, and God does something in response. It says, one of the seraphim, one of the angels who's declaring how holy God is, It says, hold on one second, God, goes down and gets a coal out of the altar, touches Isaiah's lips with it, and then he says this to him, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. This is a beautiful picture of repentance and forgiveness that has come from the same lips that had been sinning once before. See, this is the opposite side of the power of our tongue. In fact, not only does it have the power to kill, but it is the power to make alive. Jesus gets at this in the very next verse in Matthew 12, 37. He says, look, by your words you'll be justified or you'll be condemned. Though we may be condemned by the things we say, we also can be justified and forgiven and saved and changed by the things that come out of our mouths. In fact, when you look at what Paul says in Romans 10, 9-10, the basic thing that he tells us to do to become a Christian is an act of speech. That we use our mouth to confess that Jesus is Lord. And then we begin to organize our life under that very small phrase that we make. And on that day that our speech is judged, there'll be a whole lot of careless words that Jesus will point to, but there'll be one careless word that He'll point to that's going to save our soul. And that's when we say, You are Lord. And forgive me for all the things that I have said. And so this morning, we're going to come to a time of prayer and confession, have a time where we can confess some of the things that have come out of our mouth, to ask God to forgive us. We're going to use our mouths for good, right? And then we're going to come to a time of communion, reflect on what Jesus has done. I think what we want to ask ourselves is, what have you said that you need to confess to God this morning and experience His forgiveness in? Where has your speech gone astray and not match what God has asked it to look like? Holy speech that builds others up, that fits the moment, that gives grace to those that surround you. Now, James is going to round out this passage by saying just a few more things about our tongue, and he's really going to target one particular problem with our speech. He's going to show us that really our speech is a litmus test. What comes out of our mouths is a litmus test of what's in our heart and maybe where we're at with Jesus. So look at the tongue here as a litmus test of our faith, starting in verse 9. Here's what James says to us. He says, With our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is saying here is that the things we say, the character of our speech points to the condition of our heart. If we say we are a believer in Jesus, then it ought to reflect in what comes out of us. In fact, he's pointing out here that we might come Sunday by Sunday and worship God with the saints praising his name, and yet the rest of our week is filled with vile comments about other people. We praise God here this morning, but as soon as we come home, we turn our speech into a weapon that hurts our spouse, and it hurts our kids, and it hurts our friends, and all those around us. James says, this shouldn't be so. This is not the way of believers in Jesus You shouldn't have both blessing and cursing coming out of our mouth. And yet, as verse 2 said, we all stumble in this. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 12, 34, he says this, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And James is calling us to diagnose our hearts and our faith this morning by what has been coming out of our mouth. And so what does your speech say about you? Has your speech been filled with grumbling and complaining? You know, this is one of the biggest critiques of the Israelites and their wanderings that God has against them. All you've done is grumble and complain. Instead, God wants thanksgiving. Is it filled with, is your speech filled with crass talk and inappropriate jokes? Or does it discuss real matters and care about real things with other people? Is your speech constantly focused on the the failures of your kid or your spouse? You know, sometimes I meet people and all they can tell me is how terrible their kids are. Or is your speech focused on the hope and the power of God to change situations? Does your speech voice your anxious thoughts and all the things you're worried about? Or are you using your mouth to cast those anxious thoughts on God in prayer? He says, I want to hear them. You're always trying to prove you're right or are you letting God be a judge of your life? Trying to hurt someone with your words or are you trying to build them up? Listen, we've all stumbled in our speech. There's not a day that goes by that we don't stumble in our speech because this is a hard beast to tame. This is a everybody plays sin. <laughs> and God is asking us through James, let's confess these things to him and let him do a work in our heart to stand in his grace and to work at being holy people that offer holy praise to God. Now, me and Kevin were joking about this passage this week. You realize in this passage, James says nothing positive? (laughs) Like, it's kind of a hard passage because you're like, well, where where does this leave us, James? He's like, stop doing it. (laughs) Okay, well, where do we go from here? Well, Paul gives us a little instruction on that, so I want to give you a little bit of that before we go this morning. I think Paul gives us in Ephesians some really good advice on what a Christian speech should look like. And here's three verses we can point to. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 4, that the opposite opposite, a lot of this dirt that comes out of our mouth, it should be thanksgiving. In fact, he says, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So we ask you, what do you have to be thankful for? And when's the last time you said it out loud? God wants to hear. Other people want to hear what God is doing in your life. You know, we are talking with Shelley this week, and, and we sung this, or we're going to, I can't remember. We sung it, or we're going to sing the song 10,000 Reasons. In her children's ministry where she was at previously, she said, We decided we're going we're gonna to write as kids every Sunday. We're going to write things on the wall till we get 10,000 reasons why we're thankful to God. Right? And so they said week by week they started. And at first the kids were like having a really hard time to come up with things they were thankful for. But then as time went on, as they practiced that discipline, guess what? They'd come every week with a list of things they were thankful for. And they began to put them on the wall. And then Shelly said, you know what? 10,000 is a whole lot of things. We were never going to get to 10,000. But what she learned was as we begin to speak out thanksgiving and practice that, man, it enlivens your heart and changes your speech and life. And so we as believers can change our speech from filthiness to thanksgiving to God. Ephesians 5.19, Paul also says this, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I love this verse. We were discussing this as a, as a staff this week, and Jason Cotting raised his hand, and he said, Does this mean I'm to frolic down this hallway and sing to you guys? And I said, well, that'd be a great sight to see. I think you should do that, Jason, if you know Jason sitting here in the front row. But that's not quite what Paul's getting at. What he's saying is that part of the design of God's people as we gather together on Sunday morning is that we would remind each other of God's promises. We'd remind each other of God's faithfulness. We'd remind each other and encourage one another with what God is doing in our life. And that as we sing songs together and praise God together in song, that part of what you're doing is helping that other person on the other side of the room worship. You're praising God, but you're also encouraging this guy. This is what God has done. This is what he's doing in my life. I'm singing about it, and you ought to sing with me, because God is doing quite an amazing work in us we can do other great things of our speech. The Bible points to the way that, Ben, you can come on up, that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. We can instruct each other in truth. We can comfort those that are in sorrow. We can lift the spirits of those that, that feel like they don't belong. We can speak kindly to those that need a kind word. And we can share the way of life that's found in Christ by the things we say, right? And this brings us back to the verse that we said at the very beginning, Ephesians 4.29. I think this sums up our Christian speech. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Holy speech that builds others up, fits the moment, and gives grace. That's what God wants in our hearts as believers in Jesus. So as we come to a close this morning, we're going to take just a few minutes to consider our speech before God. I think our question for this week is, what does your speech say about you? Is it, is it blessing that comes out of your mouth or cursing? God said, let's take a moment and confess the things that we said to God. And ask him to do a work in us, to sanctify us in his grace, to change our hearts and minds so that blessing would come out. And we could give grace to those around us. Let's take the next two minutes and confess to the Lord the things that have come out of our mouth.